0: back to you know what I've been wondering. I'm Sarah. I'm Jane. How are you Jane? I'm I'm fine. (laughs) I'm alive. Um, (laughs) Okay. I've had like a tough few days just like anxiety wise but today was a good day and right after this I'm gonna go shopping for slime ingredients for my students tomorrow. That's fun. So I did see you were telling me how you're gonna make like puffy
1: slime right yeah yeah it's like foamy I did see that at Walgreens like it was like a puff paint slime
0: oh it was like pre-made and it was
1: strawberry scented I was like I really want to touch that (laughs) but not enough that I'm gonna spend eight dollars on it but I would love to know what that feels like that's interesting so hopefully your
0: uh slime experiment goes well (laughs) well I was dumping last week's prototype into the trash today.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, sometimes it's good to experiment. You know, no, no experiment yeah. is is perfect on its first try. Trial and error. Yeah,
0: yeah. I truly, like, am establishing, like, a brand in my classroom as, like, a scientist. Because last week I had my students make these homemade lava lamps mm-hmm. where we took old plastic bottles and filled them halfway with water and then i had them put in food coloring and we shook it all up mm-hmm. and you fill it the other half of the way with vegetable oil mm-hmm. and like first you can have the whole like look at like ooh look at them separating the oil and the water having I mean, the two layers and then when it's all nice and separated drop in an alka-seltzer tablet <laughs> like it looks so cool (laughs) oh yeah me and the other adults were like oh the other students were like okay but like now the fun part of it is just that we have them in our classroom Mm -hmm. and when they're like on breaks they can just kind of shake them and look at them right but it's a fun science experiment and now i'm like over here with slime prototypes (laughs) like a bowl full of blue goo for several days (laughs) You are a scientist. Can I tell the listeners about what
1: continued to happen to me last week? Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) So after we recorded the mess that had happened to me the week before on Tuesday, I took my car in for routine maintenance and to replace the flat tire that I had gotten as previously discussed. Mm -hmm. And I got a call while I'm out with our dear friend, Laurel, who's been on the show. Um, And they're like, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm just going to lay it on you. And I was like, lay it on me. They're like, there were rats living in your car. (laughs) And I was like numb to the information. I was like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. They're like, you're handling this really well. (laughs) And I was like, I have no capacity in me, to emotionally react to this. Like, it's all drained out. It's all gone. They chewed through my air Mm -hmm. filters. They shat in my hood. Like, they did everything they possibly Uh could to contaminate that car. But they're gone now. I personally think that the rats got in my car um, in, like, February when my mother and I had switched cars for Jane and I's trip together to the mountains. I took my mom's car. She's a SUV. Mm Mm-hmm and my car sat idle for like a month i think that's when they got in because they were like oh this car that nobody's using like warm spot i didn't have to move and then they could like really move in which is disgusting to think that i was driving around my car with a shit in it for two months yeah but but it's over now (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> lol and so then jane texted me on like friday and was like how's your day going any vermin and i was like no but it's, any new any vermin? new vermin and i was like no but it's only eight o'clock <laughs> <laughs> 8 p.m 8 p.m it was 8 p.m but you know still time left still time for vermin still, late in the night. still time for vermin um but thankfully the bedbug saga is coming to a close we had our second treatment today all of our stuff got dropped back off so we're we're doing it um, but yeah, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Yes, yes. We are now seeing the end. Um, I have a lot of stuff to put away, unfortunately. But we have reached the a, a, the turning point of good things to come. Mm-hmm. So
0: here is Hopin'. Yeah, I also have to do a lot of cleaning because um, told my landlord yesterday that I'm not going to be renewing my lease because mm-hmm. I'm moving into my brother's apartment. Um, and he was like, cool. So I'm going to be doing a walkthrough of your apartment to show it to a potential new tenant at one o'clock on Wednesday. It's like, okay, well, I won't be home for that. So you tell me by yeah. <laughs> Wednesday morning, the apartment has to be clean. Okay. Yes. Okay. You can do that. You can do that. I just have to clean my room and the kitchen and <laughs> the living room and the bathroom. <laughs>
1: at least we don't have like entire houses you know it's like it's like situations like this that like the bed bug thing I was like if if that was my mother's house like it'd be over it'd be over you know we'd be like burn the thing down (laughs) like there's no there's no coming back from this this. um so thankfully like it was a lot but it was like contained to one apartment you know
0: Mm -hmm, Uh, mm a full
1: home anyway (laughs) my is My of- favorite
0: show, Full Home. <laughs>
1: full Home. My segment <laughs> is kind of long,
0: so we okay. can get started. Yeah. All right. Okay. So you asked me about May Day. I did. Not like Which when it's is- an
1: emergency. Like,
0: <laughs> May Day. No. May Day. <laughs> I'm not funny. May Day is May 1st. And I thought it was, one article I was reading was like, FAQ is about May Day. And one of them was like, when is May Day? And then it gave this little chart of like when it falls each year as if it's not the same date every year like they just want to be like 2020 it was a wednesday it's 2021 it'll be a tuesday like right it's like but it's always may 1st yeah but it's always may 1st so like why can you look at a calendar right so why are we putting this on a chart what what's this who's this chart for uh yeah (laughs) May 1st marks the halfway point between the spring equinox and the summer solstice. And if y'all are like me and you forgot what an equinox is, (laughs) it is when the plane of the Earth's equator Mm -hmm. passes through the geometric center of the sun's disk. So (laughs) for people like me who still didn't know what that exactly (laughs) meant... You got the summer solstice is the longest day of the year, and then the winter solstice, which is the shortest day of the year. Uh The equinoxes are like the midway points. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. Yep. So May Day is sort of like it's in between the halfway point and the longest day. Okay. Exactly. We're halfway to the Um, longest day. Yeah. Celtic traditions mark all of the solstices, equinoxes. And the halfway in in between points, Mm -hmm. such as May Day, uh, as significant or, you know, noticeable dates on the calendar. One of the reasons why May Day is one of the more celebrated of those days Mm -hmm. is mostly connected with agriculture because crops and flowers and things like that are often planted in early spring. Around May Day is when plants begin to sprout. Okay. So May Day will be like, oh, let's celebrate. Our plants are growing. In the Middle Ages, Gaelic people celebrated the festival of Beltane to mark this occasion, and Beltane translates to day of fire. It sounds dope. Um, They would drive their cattle to pasture. They would light huge bonfires. They would decorate all of their front doors of their houses and their livestock. I'm like, are you putting, like, flowers and you put, cow's pl- put flower like trying- crowns on the cows they would be so cute yeah. when i have an alpaca farm they're gonna wear flower crowns they're gonna wear flower crowns uh and they with yellow may flowers and like i said they would have these huge bonfires and they would just like dance all night mm-hmm. which sounds fun i would like to go to that ever, ever. <laughs> <laughs> Dancing around the Maypole is an old English tradition, which did come to America, although modern celebrations of this have sort of lost the significance that it once had. It's part of many traditions that are celebrated on or done on May Day. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't think of the word, but practiced traditions uh, acknowledged and rituals, yeah, Just... traditioned, uh, rich... <laughs> um, that are, you know. Done on on May Day, such as crowning a May king and queen, mm-hmm. gathering flowers. I've seen Midsommar. A... <laughs> Lots to do with flowers. Oh, Midsommar flowers is thing. really
1: long. Maybe I'll watch that while I reassemble my entire life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, there's a lot of gathering flowers, weaving them into hoops, hair garlands, other flower decorations. All of this is generally to celebrate and promote fertility Mm -hmm. for plants and, by extension, livestock and humans. Mm. There's a lot of connection between the fact that the plants are blooming and connecting it to fertility, love, matchmaking, and that type of thing, coupling people up. As I sort of said before, as time went on, cultural cultural significance Mm -hmm. and the agricultural celebrations have been gradually lost, and it's now more of a like, yay, it's spring, we love flowers. (laughs) Um, My mom. uh, mom. Here are more specific traditions connected to the Maypole dance. Mm -hmm. The ancient Celts had a tradition that was largely for mingling and matchmaking, which sounds like actually kind of cute. Um, they would go to the forest, like as a community and choose a tree, bring it back to like cut it down and bring it back to the town and decorate it with a bunch of flowers, and then have a big party and dance around it. And <laughs> sometimes I just lose my mind when I'm taking notes because what I wrote was, and they would get their flirt on and look for a new bay. <laughs> You had until sundown to get yourself paired, which if I were given that information, I'd be like, okay, so cool. When are we starting this? Sun up? Like, I need (laughs) time. I don't don't like that
1: kind of pressure. I'd be like, oh God, there's a deadline. (laughs) Because what I would inevitably (laughs) end up doing is that I would just latch onto the first person I spoke
0: to. I'd be like, yep, that's it. Because I'd be so desperate to meet the deadline, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if you got yourself into a I don't think it's necessarily like gotten yourself into a relationship because that wasn't the be all end all. It would just be sort of the start of a courtship. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if by sundown you found yourself paired, the courtship would continue. And if all went well and you were compatible and you liked each other and you wanted to get married, then six weeks later, which is, is very soon after, but keep in time, these are like ancient Celtic people. Yeah. You lived shorter lives. You found someone. That's actually a lie. I recently found out that it is a lie
1: that people live shorter lives in the, in like medieval times. Like, like we definitely live longer, but like Uh they definitely made it seem like. The mortality rate rate was really high because infant mortality was really high. Mm-hmm. But in actuality, if you lived past like if you lived past fifteen, you probably would make it to fifty or sixty, easy. Oh, it's like a very common misconception
0: that people died really young all mm-hmm. the time. Wow. But, well, my overall point was mainly that like a it, it was different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Courtship from starting to date to marriage seems really short now but i think like that's not that short for olden times um as this tradition went on it grew in popularity oh oh one more thing is that six weeks from May Day is the summer solstice mm-hmm. in june and that would be when the marriages mm-hmm. would take place and that is how the tradition of june weddings began love that isn't that
1: interesting i, I thought love that was
0: that. Cool. that was cool yep as this tradition went on, it grew in popularity and every single town would have their own maypole and would have competitions to see who could have the tallest or the best decorated maypole. During the Middle Ages, more and more dance performances, plays, and literature were incorporated into this like big community event that was probably just for showing yourself off and trying to find a partner. The Puritans of New England thought that May Day celebrations were licentious and. Pagan. I was about to be like, so, they hated it, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, they hated it. Uh, so they forbade its observance, and that is largely why, as the tradition came to America, it was sort of cut off from its historic, from its history, and it lost its social and cultural significances. So that's why. The celebrations we do have are more so like, yay, spring, flowers, woo! And are they, um, was it a very
1: Nordic tradition, or was it, like, generally popular throughout Europe?
0: I mostly saw that it was very, it was, like, Celtic and English. And, yeah,
1: because it always seems like the people that are more attached to the traditions now are, like, Norway, Denmark, Finland, yeah. those kinds of countries. Yeah.
0: hmm having may dances in america were um a thing for a while uh, they would crown a may queen and a court and it became popular sort of like a prom or just sort of a dance mm-hmm. theme that you'd have in the spring but it, it sort of waned in popularity in the 1960s and 70s and i think i think it's just because you know then we just sort of got prom and right. spring fling or whatever another tradition to talk about is may baskets now i didn't know about these but there was one family in my neighborhood when i was a kid that did these every year and they would just go around to all the houses on the neighborhood and leave like essentially a little card they would make like a paper flower and hang it around our doorknob and then like ding dong ditch and go out and find a little a little flower card it's cute and be like happy may day But it has a larger tradition surrounding it. In the 19th and 20th centuries, the tradition of a May basket became popular. And it was sort of like the opposite of trick or treating. It was when you would fill a basket with, or a paper cone with spring flowers and sweets, and you would leave it on the doorstep of somebody you had a crush on, or the children of the neighborhood would exchange them with each other, like Valentine's, Mm -hmm. or you could just like give it to a kid you knew, like as a fun thing. And you would go to their door, knock, and yell out May Basket. And if the recipient chases you and catches you, they are entitled to a kiss. Or, <laughs> as my neighbors did, just like leave a thing for them to find. Interesting. Louisa May Alcott mentions May Basket Day in her oh, writing. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: remember this. Yeah. I was like, why does this sound familiar? Little mm-hmm. women. That's why. I think it comes yep. up in Anne
0: of Green Gables, too. I could be wrong about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's mentions of it in literature mm-hmm. in the late 1800s. There's this super cute picture of a group of small children bringing a May basket to First Lady Grace Coolidge. Oh. And one of them is giving her a kiss on the cheek. It's very cute. Oh, that's very cute. Mm-hmm. Like other May Day traditions, it has mostly been forgotten about. But the few people who still celebrate it, it's mostly just like leaving flowers on people's door that's, doorways. That's nice. Can you imagine me just like finding a guy cute and then like figuring out his address? And going and knocking, going may basket, be, and then he like he's like okay, I don't know what to do, but I'm adorable. like, I'm running away. Oh no, oh no, you have to catch me. <laughs> I thank got it, like, um, it would be what? really cute. If I ever have if a, I, yeah. if I ever have a boyfriend again, I'll be like, we're doing yeah. this. No, thing. but that's my point is, like, they literally have no idea what's going on. But I'm like, no, catch and me. I'm, and they're like, oh, okay. I'm going to stage it with, like, something. an established I'm partner. like, now I have to kiss you. I have I to. I have <laughs> to. I think they'd be a little confused. Yeah, I know. Which I think that tradition is fun because when I first read about it, it was like, oh, they have to give you a kiss. But it was like, no, because the person that has to give you a kiss made the choice, like, they were the ones who initiate, yeah, they were, well, they were the ones who made the choice to initiate the entire thing. They brought you the basket. Then you made the choice to chase them. So both parties have now given consent. Right,
1: right. (laughs) You knew, you knew what the consent, what you were consenting to. Yeah. Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm, Exactly. Here are some other ways that you can celebrate May Day today. Mm -hmm. So an old superstition is that first thing in the morning, This is for people who live in super rural areas, I feel like I should say. I would not do this. I don't think you should do this living in New York City. Uh, I would not do this walking around the city that I live in. (laughs) The superstition is to go walking first thing in the morning and collect dew or wipe dew from the grass and sprinkle (laughs) it or rub it on your face. (laughs) Maybe at my mom's house, maybe, Yeah, but not here. Yeah, and if you use the dew to wash your face, then it brings you beautiful skin and good luck.
1: I wish, but no.
0: Yeah, I uh, will not be doing across that. the board. Is, there were many little bullet points that I could list of like gather this type of flower or this type of flower. Just gather flowers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Blanket point. In Hawaii, May Day, or May 1st, is called Lay Day, mm-hmm. and there is a tradition where you gather flowers and make a lay for yourself, or you could also give it to a loved one, such as a mother figure, Aww. as a sign of affection.
1: Aww, that's sweet.
0: <laughs> I can't believe a modern day website was encouraging this, but apparently, <laughs> they, were, they were like, Walk outside barefoot to soak up that Mayday dew. Have the kids do it. I was like, I'm not going to tell children to run outside barefoot. Like, maybe yeah, if it yeah, was like the summer and they were in a yard, but not, <laughs> no, not, not anywhere. Not like anywhere.
1: But no, like, I, I yeah. when I'm at my mom's house, I, I don't wear shoes. And if I'm walking through the yard, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'll take that risk. You know, like, there's something sharp mm-hmm. there. That's on me. Yeah. But no, I yeah. love walking through the grass barefoot. Yeah.
0: In certain parts of Ireland, they make May bushes, mm-hmm. which is basically when you take many colors of ribbons and you tie them to the branches of bushes, make them all colorful, Aww. especially thorn bushes. Certain industries, <laughs> such as beekeeping, fishing, and farmers of certain types of vegetables, see this day as like an ideal temperature And time of year for relocating their bees, or going out to do big fishing days, or planting their vegetables, and so if you have industries such as that near you, you can maybe like see if there are events of of that type. Like this isn't May Day, but a similar sort of thing that happens in Maine is um, (laughs) Maine Maple Sunday. Mm. Have you? Yeah, that's when you tap. It's basically first time yeah it's the first day that makers of syrup tap their trees and there's a lot of events that my family used to go to all the time to be there to like get the to buy syrup and see it being made and my final bullet point here is i'm going to end on a fun fact and that is when people say the phrase mayday mayday they are not in fact referencing the day in may rather they are referencing the french phrase Mayday, Mayday. oh like bad m- day apostrophe no well it means um it's m apostrophe a i d e z and it means help me in french oh. mm-hmm. this phrase is used as a discre- as a distress call signal if you're calling for help on a radio saying mayday three times means you are in a life-threatening situation or distress of the highest order mm. if you say the phrase pan pan which must mean something else in French. I do not know. I was like, bread, bread? Um, that If you say that three times, it means you need help, but the no, situation is Bread in French is pain. Pain, pain, pain. <laughs> <laughs> that would be confusing. <laughs> there was a great
1: meme when The Last Jedi came out, because in The Last Jedi, or I think it was, is it The Last Jedi or was it? Um, force awakens and one of i think it's last jedi at one point kylo ren says help me be free of this pain And <laughs> <It's> so funny <laughs> photoshopped him holding a baguette
0: <laughs> <laughs> and it was so funny <laughs> i think i think about that a lot i just googled it and pan pan is also in reference to a french word pan p-a-n-n-e means failure or breakdown mm. So, you could call to be like, my boat's broken, but I'm fine. Just get here when you can. Yeah. That type of thing.
1: All right. Well, that was a good clarification on the meaning of May Day.
0: Yeah. You mentioned it earlier, and I was like, say it now. And do I hold it off? No. That's my ending. Fun no, fact. you can. It's a perfect closer. A perfect closer. Cinched it. You know, that's why they call me the closer. They don't. They don't.
1: <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> no one's ever called you that. They don't mean that in a shady way. I just, nobody has. <laughs> I don't do things that would be involved in that phrase, right. like that. That, that. that wouldn't make <laughs> sense. If you like closed oh. a suitcase, I'd be like the closer. But like you, like where she goes, she goes. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> that opportunity has never mm-hmm. arisen. Mm-hmm. It's all come together. Uh, mm-hmm, it's all coming together. <laughs> there is this tweet that that's what we're referencing that floored me. It is so funny. And it's just bar, <laughs> barn owls when barns were named. And it's Gronk from the episode group going, oh yeah, it's all coming together. <laughs> <laughs> it kills me. It is so
0: funny. I don't know why I find it so hilarious, but I think about it all the time. So I'm on the middle segment. Why? And I wanted to talk about Something that I've discussed with friends today that was, well, today we received the heartbreaking news that John Mulaney and his <sighs> oh, wife no. are ending their marriage. And oh, it's so sad. It's so and, sad. <laughs> I was just curious why... People care so much about celebrity relationships. This is also a good topic to talk about
1: because Bill Gates and Melinda Gates are getting a divorce too. And that was like a big, a big topic.
0: Yes. And like on the flip side of it, I also saw a lot of headlines today that, I mean, I didn't read any of them. So I don't know how true it is, but (laughs) there's rumors that that Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez are getting back together. (gasps) Oh, shit. Which Jeez. I knew she was not, I knew her relationship with A-Rod wasn't going well, but I didn't know it was like over, over, over officially. Yeah. <laughs> so that was like, uh. So I just Googled like, why do we care so much about celebrity relationships? And I found this article from Psychology Today called, Why Caring About Celebrities Can Be Good for You. Great. Well, the long and the short of it is that we as a society develop sort of a parasocial relationship with celebrities. Mm-hmm especially with how present they are on social media. Mm-hmm. We see so much of their lives. We see them just existing and sort of get to know what they show us of their personalities. And we connect with them as if they are our friends. Mm-hmm. It's why we connect so heavily with YouTubers, especially ones who connect with their fans so much or they or start their videos with like, hi guys, or I love you guys, or... Right. YouTubers who who try and perform some sort of caring for their viewers mm-hmm. and we like our brains sort of being like oh yes they're happy to see me specifically they are my friend yeah. and i watched one video recently that talked about why we're all so why we all miss Jenna Marble so much <sighs> and it's because she was a YouTuber who did such a good job of making her videos feel like she was hanging out with her friends yes. and you were one of them. Yes. And even though her her videos have not always been like as woke or as aware as they are now, which I really think watching her videos, you can like see her growing and seeing how to be yeah. a more caring person who had a fan base to right. – You know, be concerned. A more caring, but also like
1: more real person, because I don't necessarily think that like things that she was doing that were harmful was necessarily something that was coming from like her heart. It was just her trying to be like entertaining and not really understanding how to do that. Yeah. And then you see her be like, "Oh, I can just like be
0: myself and people will like." Yeah. You know. Absolutely. And I do think I was not one who watched her sketches as much growing up, which is it, which is the videos in which the problematic content. Yes. But I remember when people did. Yeah. I She did. She was, she could be a little bit slut shamey here or there or just like not as positive, but she got over that quickly. But I always felt when I was watching her videos, when I was in like high school and it was her very early days, she did a lot of like rant videos Mm -hmm. and watching the rant videos it was almost an experience of because she would always complain about relatable things mm-hmm. it, it felt like a friend had a tough day and they were like can I just talk about the things that bother me here right. I go and then eventually she transitioned to being much more positive and her and watching her videos is such a fun thing yeah so it became more like let's do an activity yeah. together was much more of her, yeah well yeah. so that's not even the central thing we're talking about but that's a you I know, know yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm discussing parasocial relationships mm-hmm. and how we develop those very strongly with celebrities. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to celebrities that we care about, like for like, I don't know as much about the marriage of Bill Gates and Melinda Gates, other than knowing that they were a couple. Mm-hmm. I'm not heartbroken that Kim Kardashian and Kanye West are not doing well. I love John, but I love John, Mal- <laughs> John Mullaney. Yeah. I feel very, it made me so happy whenever he talked about how much he loved his wife. Right. And I I care about him as a person. Like, he's a celebrity. Right, he's, he's a celebrity. He's like, you but know I'm you. like, I, you. Care I care about, about him you. so much. No, I'm with you a, a thousand percent. Yeah. So to hear that, on top of already being worried about him, because I know he's had a tough year with his sobriety, hearing that his marriage is not doing well, like, it's sad. It's sad. Yeah. yeah. It's absolutely yeah. We feel like he's our friend, and we we we're sad that he's going through something tough. The article also goes on to say that even though I mean you can't. I think it is good to be critical about how much we idolize certain celebrities and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, That in addition to the parasocial relationship that it gives us, when we establish when we feel like we have a friend in a celebrity that it gives us a sort of a friend to have in common with other people that we actually interact mm-hmm. with in our lives. Mm-hmm. So it, it's like you have a friend in common with a coworker mm-hmm. if you're chatting about what's going on in pop culture. Right. It gives you some sort of commonality and you can sort of talk to them and gossip about them in a way that... St- still gives you the feeling of what gossip is which we can go into the topic of gossip and how it's not as harmful as oh yeah it is framed as and how it literally like the meaning of the original word is just women talking to each other about what's going on in their society right and we learned that from TikTok. how like sexism turned into like oh it's all women talk about and it's it's just you know women pointing out things that are going on around them <laughs> women being and observant Yeah, So it does have almost a positive social thing for the people that you interact with on a day-to-day basis because it gives you something to talk about. It gives you something in common Mm -hmm. and um, it gives you a way to practice your social skills. Mm -hmm. And many people see it as a character flaw to be talking about celebrities all the time, but (laughs) (laughs) if that's a character flaw, I am a deeply flawed person. (laughs) (laughs) Oops. Yeah, but it's more don't of a talk to me phenomenon. if you don't want to hear about how BTS is doing today. Like, <laughs> <laughs> when I was looking for something to talk about for the middle segment, I was looking through what was trending on Twitter. It's all and, BTS, uh, at least for Min me. Min Yoongi was trending, yes, he and I was is. like, oh, Why is Yoongi trending? He does nothing, and and he, has to, he has to do I, nothing. That's the thing about BTS. There was no specific reason, no. it was like he said something about like. We win no matter what, or something like that, and everyone was. That's like, a line from On. That's from like, like literally. That's all yeah. that it was.
1: The thing, the thing that's amazing about BTS, which kind of ties into what you're saying, is that BTS has such a strong following. Armies are so powerful. That's what their fans are called. If you didn't know, <laughs> um, that yeah. one of them could tweet, "Let's get, let's get Jungkook to be trending," and it, they'll do it. Like they just will do yeah. it. They're so blindly attached to bts but that is because bts is so blindly faithful to army like bts is like i would do anything for these fans yeah and they they go i say farther than the average celebrity and part of that is k-pop culture Mm
0: -hmm. for
1: their fans um and to do things for fans and they were like very openly deep deeply upset when they had to cancel their tour and they were very open about it They've written many songs about how much their fans mean to them, like yada yada. And because of that, like, their fans are like, we can get you trending in five minutes. Like, it's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. So one of them is always trending. And it's like like yesterday, all seven of them were trending because they released a photo for their new comeback. And they all have new hair colors, and every single one of those hair colors was trending. And to me, that's astounding. That is astounding. <laughs> like not even as their fan, not even not even as someone who like deeply loves them. To me, I'm yeah. like the that objective power is
0: unbelievable. It truly is, and that was, I just thought it was funny because. I was like, "What's trending? Oh, Yoongi's trending. Why is he trending? Oh, just he's because he's Yungi. Because he's being. Let me keep Yoongi. looking for. Yeah, let me keep looking for topics. That's scrolls right. down a little bit. Oh, Nam June is also <laughs> trending. Why is he trending? For no existing. reason. He's just Nam Yeah, like <laughs> he's just, just. They're just existing, and that's all that it is, and that's beautiful. Yeah. and it's great. So, in conclusion, sometimes people will shake their heads at what, at the fact that we're constantly subjected to like mass media and people could dismiss you and say like, that's irrelevant to anything that matters in our own lives. But if you find yourself becoming just a, I like the the final sentence of this article. If you find yourself becoming just a tiny bit intrigued by some insane story about a celebrity, let yourself off the hook. After all, it's only human nature. (laughs) All right. So it's not
1: weird that I spend a
0: big chunk of my day on Twitter (laughs) looking up BTS. Um. I think if you had this level of dedication to, like, a different celebrity that, like, literally didn't give you anything, <laughs> I'd be like, eh, maybe think about that. But the fact that it's BTS and they work so hard to keep people. this, like, relationship with their army going, then I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> also, like, I'm a very multifaceted
1: person. Like, <laughs> you are. <laughs> like, like yes, Yes, objectively, you could look at me and be like, oh, yeah, she talks about BTS all the time. She loves BTS. And, like, yes, I could absolutely hold a very long conversation about some video I watched about BTS or something I saw on Twitter about BTS, yada, yada. But, like, also, I am in grad school, like, (laughs) also I work very very hard like also I have this podcast and many other interests so it's like yes I talk about BTS because they're one of my main interests at the moment and I love them and I love their music and music is really important to me but like I also know that I have many other things about me that are like interesting and worth talking about and that I like invest my time into so it may seem like oh Sarah invests a lot of time into BTS but like that's just because that's what I talk about because the general public will be more interested in that than me being like yeah yesterday I like watched a video on like the on art history (laughs) on the making of the Duomo and did you know like nobody cares about that (laughs) I mean I do but
0: like you know what I mean people do but it's easier to talk about pop culture it is it's just easier yeah
1: it's easier to like draw comparisons when like yeah. You know, I, I also love One Direction. I don't watch nearly as many One Direction's videos as I watch BTS <laughs> videos. But it's very easy when you, like, start talking about One Direction and be like, oh, like, this moment from One Direction reminded me of this BTS video, which reminded me of this thing yeah. Taylor Swift said. Like, you get into this sort of rhythm with it, you know?
0: Yeah, exactly. My last thing I'll say that I, I do feel like there's this extra component to it that we haven't really brought up yet, which is that... All of the thing, like, some things that are discussed frequently that are pop culture things are things that are marketed towards women, are things that are very mm. popular with women. Mm-hmm. And there is almost sort of a way of, like, everybody could be out there talking about the Avengers or mm. some, I mean, that's maybe not ex- a, a, as good an example because that's less only targeted towards boys but, than it used it, to be. Yes, but, but it, it was like, for
1: a very long time.
0: Yeah. But every everybody could be out there talking about a sports game that happened or some other right. large thing that is mostly marketed towards men. Mm-hmm. Not that only men enjoy it, but you right. know what I mean. And it's only if people are talking about something that's marketed towards women that everybody are like, ugh, pop culture. Like, it's so dumb. Right.
1: No, but you you're, know what I mean? you're so
0: right because I do have these
1: moments where I'm like, so, like, this summer I'm going to be working at a sports camp, which is laughable for everybody that knows me. But they seem to think that I'm fully competent and able to do it. So, I guess I'm you able will, to you'll, do you'll it. be great. I'll be fine. But it is, I do kind of feel like, not quite imposter syndrome, but I kind of feel like I'm wearing a costume, you know, when I go to these meetings yeah. to talk about, like, how we're going to set up the basketball court. And, like, today we got to talk about field trips and special guests. And I was like, do you think we could get an improv person? Like, I, like... <laughs> Like, it's just a very different mode of being for me and talking about and thinking about these things. And so this is like, this is an embarrassing story, but like, I think, I think it says a lot about me as a person. The very first meeting I had, we had to do this icebreaker and the icebreaker, we had to answer two questions. One was a story about a past camp experience. And the second was a random question that you were given. And we picked random note cards with the questions on it. And I went first And the question I pulled was, if you could ask any celebrity one question, what would it be? And the only thing that came into my brain was Larry. The only thing. I was like, (laughs) I have no other questions. But I've just met these people. They do not know me. I don't know them. And I'm like, you cannot out yourself as a Larry right now. Like, this is not the environment. (laughs) It's not the time. Like Maybe we will build that relationship, but not right now. Already, I was already feeling like insecure about lots of things, whatever. So I'm sitting there and I struggled to come up with a question that wasn't centered around like a boy band, truly. I was like, and I was sitting there trying to think, I was like, you, what are other celebrities that you like? And now sitting here looking, looking at my room, looking at the things around me, I'm like, you could have said something about Wes Anderson. You could have said something about like all these other interests that I have. And now I like, I, I called Philippa afterwards and I was like, I couldn't think of anything. And she was like, she was like, I know what you would ask. You would ask Christopher Walken about Natalie Wood. And I was like, that is exactly what I would ask. You're right. Like that, that is the genuine answer, but I couldn't come to it because I was so like in my head that day. And it was the first thing that came to my brain. And I was so embarrassed about it. And then everyone else's question was about sports, you know, But the th- well, I mean, it's a sports camp, so or, I shouldn't be surprised. Or, or not, not their questions. Everybody else's answers had to do with, like, sports or, like, their camp story had to do with a sports injury at camp, something mm-hmm. like that, which I can't relate to because I've never had one. And so I was thinking about it, and I was like, wow, that's so embarrassing that all these people came up with these stories about how they, like, made this amazing shot at basketball, but they dislocated their shoulder. And then later I was like, no, that's not embarrassing it was embarrassing to me within that context within a group of people that I didn't know where I didn't know common interests I didn't know all of these things but if we were with our group of friends and somebody asked me that question I would feel more than comfortable being like oh I would ask Niall if Larry is real like I would absolutely feel comfortable saying that and then if somebody else said some story about sports I know we'd all be like oh tough guy whatever like I like the dynamic would shift and change so I think everything exists within this context and what I'm saying is that I agree with you that in society we live in the context where my answer is deemed embarrassing, and the sports answer is deemed valuable or deemed interesting yeah. or like funny or whatever. And yeah. I'm the dork, and they're the like hotshot. And mm-hmm. I'm si- and I I I don't like that idea, but I do think that is the reality in which we are in. I do think that is yeah. generally we live and I think that's disappointing because I think we get a very shallow look at people um, for that reason we get a lot of people who are Mm -hmm. afraid to like who act like their like pop culture interests are like this guilty pleasure we hear that word a lot right guilty pleasure Yes. and it's like oh say yes to the dress is my guilty pleasure it's like well you don't have to feel guilty about it like if it brings you joy it brings you joy you know yeah and I don't want to pretend that BTS is a guilty pleasure because I'm not guilty about it I don't feel guilty you know You've done
0: nothing wrong. Exactly.
1: It's like, okay, then are the Mets your guilty pleasure? Like, no, because you don't feel guilty for enjoying going to see the Mets play, you know? Yeah. Very different way. It's a very Absolutely. different way of thinking about it. Um. Anyway, going off of all of that, let's talk about something that is, like, actually sort of also a guilty pleasure, because we're going to be talking about true crime, and Mm -hmm. This is something that I've recently started thinking about a lot and sort of true crime as an industry and true crime as um, a function of capitalism because it really has become that. Um, And I've definitely taken part in that. I definitely was swept up in that sort of true crime wave that happened about four or five years ago. And I listened to a lot of true crime podcasts. I got really into it. Um, I still watch a lot of true crime television It is something I've said many times before. Michelle McNamara's book, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, is one of my favorite books ever written. I think it is absolutely incredible. And so, going off of that, we are going to be talking about John Bonet, John Bonet Ramsey. And John Bonet Ramsey is one of the most famous true crime cases in America, period. Yeah. You know, most people have heard of her. Um, Some people know the details of what happened to her. Um, and it is just one of those things that sort of is infamous in America and was very much um the object of scrutiny and media attention in this mm-hmm. true crime wave that happened. Um in the past couple of years, there have been several documentaries about John Bonet Ramsey. Netflix had their movie casting John Bonet, which was sort of an interesting true crime documentary but, like, not, not a documentary sort of thing um, about the case. And so it is it is a contested and controversial topic, like all true crime is. And what I will say is that I think my issue with true crime now is that we very often forget that the people who we talk about are real people with real mm-hmm. consequences, and these are real investigations, you know? It's not, it's not a novel. It's not the creation of some writer like there are real people out there and I was thinking about this also when I talked about Madeline McCann's disappearance too like those are real parents who like really lost their child and is it more interesting to think that there's some deep conspiracy in there and that um you know there's some crazy backstory is that more fun yes is that the truth we don't know and I'm not of a person I'm not a person that thinks that we can operate under the most exciting outcome all of the time. It's really easy to get caught up in it, and it's really easy to be like, wouldn't it be crazy if X, Y, Z? Yes, it would. Is it likely? No. Should we operate as if the craziest possible scenario is the truth? No. That being said, (laughs) you asked me to talk about JonBenet Ramsey and why people think her brother did it. Which, mm-hmm. I will say, for me personally, is probably the most conflated scenario. You know, I think that mm-hmm. is probably, if you could th- come up with the most hyperbolic way that John Bonnet Ramsey died, I believe that, th- that that is what media is trying to sell you when they tell you that Burke did it. Burke was only nine years old when this happened and i think a lot of people mm-hmm. hear like oh the brother did it but they don't really register that they're they're implying that a 9 year old kid killed his sister. Yeah. And certainly, you know, there there is the rare child that you know hurts another person out of malice, not out of a childish mistake, you know that certainly happens and that's not it's not the only yeah. case, but it is extreme, you know. So we're going to talk about John Bonet, major content warnings here um, for sexual assault, Mm -hmm. violence against children, homicide, just, and please, 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 if you don't know this case, if you don't know what happened, if she's just like a name that's sort of rotated around in your head, which she is for many people, but just please be aware that this is disgusting um, in many ways. And it's so hyped up and it it makes me upset that the media has hyped up the uh, circus around um, the murder and really gotten away from the fact that like, this is a very violent crime that happened to an incredibly young child. Um, Mm -hmm. so just, just keep that in mind. So this is a long case, but I'm going to uh, try to be brief and only cover the most crucial facts, but blanket statement. And I do think it is one of those things that if you are interested in learning more, I'm going to be very focused on, uh, JonBenet Ramsey's family but there are many many theories about possible suspects outside of the family that I believe are worth looking into Mm -hmm. Um, and there are many podcasts documentaries YouTube videos BuzzFeed Unsolved covered this case for example and I'm a big BuzzFeed Unsolved Mm -hmm. fan so they always get free advertising from me Um, (laughs) you know all worth all worth looking into should you want to learn more because I'm telling you I'm going to give a very um, brief overview of possibilities outside of the family but they there are significant ones right so don't assume that i'm giving you every piece of significant information i'm telling you i'm not um it, it's also important to remember that john murder is perplexing to say the least and a lot of protocols were ignored which also sort of uh, obfuscates the chances of ever finding her killers and also killer uh, and sort of clouds clouds a lot of people's judgment but also uh, the ability to really solve the case. A lot of people acted suspicious and continue to act suspicious and a lot of stories don't line up and there are a lot of parallels in that way between JonBenét Ramsey's murder and Madeline McCann's disappearance. JonBenét Ramsey was born to Patsy Patricia and John Ramsey on August sixth, nineteen ninety. She was raised in Colorado with her parents and older brother Burke. And at an early age, began participating in child beauty pageants, following in her mother's footsteps. She had began participating in child beauty pageants at a young age, um, sort of at her mother's will. Um, she was so young that there's not really an idea of whether or not she wanted to be doing them um but her mother Mm -hmm. was a pageant queen and so she did it too john bonnet was little miss colorado colorado state all-star kids cover girl and national tiny miss beauty so she had a small reputation within the pageant community but on december 26 1996 john and patsy ramsey woke in the middle of the night so it's the day after christmas it's early in the morning after christmas um, to discover a two and a half page handwritten ransom note on their kitchen staircase, claiming to have kidnapped John Binet and demanding $118,000 for her safe return, John Benet at the time was six years old. Although the note explicitly stated not to involve the police, Patsy called 911 at 5:52 a.m. and the police arrived by 5:55 a.m. So they responded very quickly. They searched the house, not well, um, finding no signs of forced entry, but they did not search the basement. And mistakes were made almost immediately.
0: Yeah, based on, like, knowing what's going to happen, like, why would you not check that? Right. Anyway, so Officer Rick French had
1: gone into the basement, saw a door that was locked, and walked away without opening it. Because at this point, they were operating under the assumption that John Binet had been kidnapped. So they were looking for signs of forced entry. He saw the door, saw that it was locked from the mm-hmm. inside, and was like, well, this wasn't a way that they came in and left. So their first search of the house was very, it was surface level. Yeah. Um, And Rick French later claimed that he assumed that the door that he had gone to led outside. Throughout the morning, John Ramsey began making appointments to pay the ransom. When the forensics team arrived around 8 a.m., they were operating under the assumption that John Bonnet was kidnapped, like I said, and therefore they only cordoned off her room because they assume that she was kidnapped from her bed. The rest of the house was explored freely by family, police, friends, and even the family's minister that came and visited. And this went on for hours, ensuring that almost any remaining forensic evidence was contaminated. No. Yeah, it was really bad, (sighs) really bad. And it is pretty much for this reason that they all came into the home and um, didn't set up parameters to, you know, take forensic evidence for the entire house that we probably will never know what happened which is really upsetting. Detective <sighs> Linda Yeah, Detective Linda Arnt was put in charge of hostage negotiation assuming that the kidnapper would reach out with further instructions because there were none there was none in the ransom note but they they never arrived. No one reached out. At 1 p.m., just over seven hours after the police had been called, Detective Arch asked John Ramsey and Fleet White, a family friend, to search the house and look for anything amiss. And this search began in the basement, where John opened the door that French had ignored and discovered his daughter's body. This is very upsetting, this next bit. Mm. John Bonet's mouth was covered with duct tape. A nylon cord was tied around her wrist and neck, and her torso was covered by a white blanket. John then proceeded to carry his daughter's body upstairs, further contaminating the crime scene and disturbing critical forensic no. evidence. The autopsy determined that John Bonet had died from asphyxiation and had sustained a skull fracture. Sexual assault had occurred, but there was no evidence of rape. She had been strangled using a makeshift garret, which is um, a device that you use when you pull on it, that it like tightens the rope essentially. And the garret was made from Mm. the nylon cord that I mentioned and half of a wooden paintbrush. Police determined that the paintbrush used came from Patsy's art supplies, but the head of the brush was never found. There was also a, some people say just DNA, some people say blood, a sample um, determined not to be John Benet's found on her underwear. We know for a fact that it is not mm-hmm. semen, but we don't know exactly okay. what the DNA sample is. But it is there was a mysterious DNA sample found on her we underwear. Sweat, hair, or something like that. Yeah, yeah like sweat is likely spit, maybe, but mm. it was it did not match her DNA profile. Following the discovery of the body, the ramses provided handwriting samples, blood samples, and hair samples to the forensic team. Both parents were interviewed in April of 97 um, for over two hours about the events of the night, but the police never officially listed them as suspects. Um, but the police generally did suspect the family for a variety of reasons there also was an ongoing tension between the police who wanted to name the Ramses as suspects and the da's office who was friends with the Ramsies and was like no you're looking at for the wrong person like it couldn't be them yada yada so there, there it was just this confusing time of the police acting like they suspected the Ramsies because they did and yet they were not named official subjects but sus- suspects and because of this tension, the Ramseys were not very clued into the investigation because they were informally suspects. Mm. But here are some of the reasons that the police thought that the family was involved. First, the ransom note was left. that was left was unusually long and was written on pen and paper belonging to the Ramsey. Excuse me. I'm going to start the whole the cover. First, the ransom note left was unusually long like I said, two and a half pages, and it contained no real information about how to give them the money, how they would receive the money, mm-hmm. uh, where John Binet was. It was it, like, it was a very odd letter. And it was written on pen and paper belonging to the Ramseys, pen and paper that was found in its correct place. So whoever wrote the note knew where to get it and knew where to put it back. Yeah. Or at least put in the effort to do that. The amount of the ransom, $118,000, was not a random number. That was the exact amount of John Ramsey's Christmas bonus, which implies at the very least that whoever wrote it knew something about the family's finances. The Colorado Bureau of Investigation reported indications that the author of the note was Patsy, but they could come up with no conclusive evidence. There were disagreements between um, pathologists over whether or not the handwriting matched, but six handwriting experts refuted the claim that Patsy wrote the note. So it seems unlikely, but the idea definitely circulated. Patsy's fingerprints were also the only ones found on the note besides the police and on her phone call with nine one one, Patsy never said John name, which they immediately found odd. Instead, mm-hmm. on the nine one one call, Patsy said things like "I'm mm-hmm. the mother and we have a kidnapping," but she didn't say like "my daughter John Bonnet, she's gone," like all these things. She she just spoke very oddly, and like yeah, you can't wipe. Of ransom note for fingerprints you know like if the maybe if the person was wearing gloves but what was odd was that there was trace evidence of dna on other things but not on the note so it's like were they wearing gloves and they took them off like it just doesn't it just does, didn't make sense the pattern yeah. of things that did and didn't have fingerprints on them the police also uncovered a practice note in the home like someone had practiced writing phrases and then like scratched them off or what they called a practice note and and then those was yeah like like just weird weird things like that michael baden who is a forensic pathologist said he'd never seen a note like this in his 60 year career and he highly doubted it was written by a stranger but it took until December of mm. 2003 to extract enough DNA from that small, you know, trace amount of DNA left on JonBenet's underwear to create a profile. And that profile was determined not to match any member of the Ramsey family. When the DNA was submitted to the FBI, the sample did not match any existing one in their DNA database. And then in 2016, a new DNA analysis technique revealed that the DNA sample contained the DNA of two individuals other than John Bonet, but nothing, but they said nothing about those samples relation to the Ramsey's DNA. This This complicated DNA situation has led to a lot of arguments and disagreements. Some people say that it is possible that the DNA found was just the DNA from the manufacturer, whoever worked with it. But then there's other um, Mm. detectives who say FBI profiler Candace DeLong, for example, um, she was interviewed on uh, Dr. Phil, I believe. And she said that there's no way that that's the case. She's like, whoever's DNA that is, did it. Is, is her idea. So there was a lot of disagreements mm. about the significance of that DNA and whether that really was the person that did it because essentially the FBI aren't willing to say that the case is closed until they've matched that DNA to a person. But other people, the Colorado police, for example, were like, no, this is just random DNA and one of the family did it. So it's kind of mm. become this back and forth. Michael Baden, who was the same forensic pathologist I spoke about earlier, also ruled that the ransom note was not written by a stranger. Um, He stated that there is no forensic evidence that this murder was committed by a stranger. Supporting this is that there is no evidence of a forced entry at the Ramsey's home on that night. And something that BuzzFeed Unsolved mentioned, and they're the only ones that mentioned it, of the videos I watched, was that it snowed that night and there were no footprints leave in the snow around their house oh which was weird um did they uh, shovel right away there was no sign of forced entry so they had to have come like they had to have been let in the house there was a window into the room in the basement where john Bonet was found that was broken which is a Possible port of entry, but it's a small window. So they were like, who's that small? Like, who could get in that way? And there were no footprints leading up to that window. Like, it, it is well, it, yeah, it is equally well, well, my as likely question... that the window was already broken.
0: Yes. Well, my first thought, the, the reason I just said that was, it was like, well, maybe the somebody woke up early and shoveled the front pathway and they came in the front door. But then I was like, wait, no, they woke up and found the no, I'm not yeah. thinking of the timeline correctly. Yeah. Yeah, they,
1: they called the police at 5.50 in the morning. So it's unlikely that they woke oh, yeah. up and shuffled and whatever. So that was also mm-hmm. weird. Um, Greg McCrary, who is a retired FBA profile, also said that statistically there's a 12-in-1 probability that a family member or a caregiver is involved in a child's murder. So lots of circumstantial evidence pointing to the Ramses, but not a lot of hard physical evidence. Which is mm-hmm. really what you need to prosecute a person. At a certain point, the Ramses stopped cooperating with the police. This also got them a lot of negative press, but it's likely because the media frenzy and the scrutiny on them as the perpetrators, um, you know, sort of was driving them insane. Um, and mm-hmm. they also... They also, because they were so painted in the media as these people that killed their daughter, they also thought that it encouraged the police to only pursue them instead of pursuing other avenues of investigation, which was very frustrating. So instead, they totally withdrew, which is almost exactly what happened to Madeline McCann's parents, mm. if you remember. They were so frustrated that they tried to just shut down and stopped cooperating because every time they cooperated, the conversation would go back to how they did it. And so it became yeah. very frustrating. In terms of their possible motivation for killing John Bonet, the media began portraying Patsy as this like helicopter-crazed pageant parent. Um, there is this theory that emerged that Patsy had hit John Bonet in a fit of rage because John Bonet had wet the bed, um, and when she hit her head and she passed out, hence the skull fracture. And Patsy then strangled her, thinking that she was already dead, so that they could pass it off as an intruder. Oh. There is almost no evidence to support this idea besides the fact that it was Patsy's paintbrush that was used, but lots of other objects from the home were used. Um, yeah. but what is feasible is that the strangulation was a red herring to conceal the the assault. Her official cause of death was listed as asphy- asphyxiation, but
0: hmm.
1: it's not known for sure. Um investigators also noted that John Ramsey's strange behavior um towards his towards his daughter's body was there was a there was a police officer who said, when he saw how he treated his daughter's body, he immediately thought that he did it. Um, because when he carried her up the stairs, I mentioned he's the one that found her. He held mm-hmm. her her body away from his body instead of cradling her. And most mm-hmm. times when a parent discovers a child or uh, like an animal or something like that, their instinct is to cradle it close. And his instinct was Mm. to keep it farther away. And he thought this, like, really made him look guilty. Interesting. Don Ramsey also disappeared for about an hour and a half after the police arrived. And his whereabouts in that window are unknown. He said that he was getting the money together for the ransom. But some people believe that he used that opportunity to bury evidence. In 1999, three years later, a Colorado grand jury voted to indict the ramses on child endangerment and obstruction of a murder investigation because, like I said, they were being uncooperative, but the prosecutor declined to prosecute. He said that there was um, no reason to do it, and they had nothing on the family to make it worth to substantiate these claims. Mm-hmm. There is some physical evidence that points to an intruder an. M- Most cops who believe it was not an intruder are basing that on a hunch, not really evidence. So there's sort of two modes of thinking. it's It was an intruder, here's the physical evidence, or a cop that was there was like, no, the vibe was way off. Like, I'm telling you from experience that something here is wrong. And it's hard Mm. because in a situation like that, it's like, yeah, physical evidence is what holds up in court, but I don't want to, you know, ACAB, but I don't want to pass off someone's years and years and years of experience. Like I'm thinking about myself as an educator. Like I can tell when something is really wrong with the kid, you know, like I have mm-hmm. that instinct now as someone who's worked with kids for a really long time. And so I don't want to, you know, evidence, we need evidence for court, but I don't want to brush aside um, instincts of somebody who's working in the field for 60 years. You know,
0: mm-hmm. I don't think
1: that's a small thing. Um, Some of the physical evidence that points to uh, an intruder was that there was an unidentified boot print near JonBenet's body. The family's home was entirely carpeted, very 90s, um, making it feasible that a person could break in and carry her downstairs without disturbing the family. That was physically possible. Um, Okay. And, of course, there's the unidentified DNA profile. However... Even in most scenarios where an outside body broke into the home, the police and the FBI were both in agreement that Bonnet was likely killed by a person she knew or her family knew. So they yeah. still, a lot of people think it was a mix of the two. It wasn't a family member, but it also was not a stranger. Um, At the peak of the investigation, the police had 1,600 listed suspects, and all the ones they could get DNA samples for didn't match. But they still, in general, are operating under the idea that there's some person out there that the Ramseys had a connection to who they haven't thought about yet who did it. Just based off of some of the other odd things that occurred. So... And if the ransom note is legitimate, the knowledge of John Mm -hmm. Ramsey's bonus.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: But this sort of brings us to the topic at hand that you asked me about, which is Burke Ramsey. So Burke was interviewed by the police on three separate occasions throughout the 90s. But people gained a lot of interest in him as a suspect in 2016 after the release of the documentary, The Case of John JonBenet Ramsey on CBS. Um, a documentary that I remember watching when it came out. Um, and I have vague memories of it. And I remember being very compelled by this theory. Mm-hmm. And this documentary proposes that Burke Ramsey killed his sister by hitting her on the head with a flashlight after he caught her eating pineapple. Now, the pineapple thing is specific, but there is a reason for it. At the autopsy, a fruit that the, the um, medical examiner, the mortician, I don't know, the medical examiner, yeah, that the medical examiner um, found um, a fruit that he most likely thought was pineapple um, in her stomach, um, not yet digested. Mm-hmm. But her parents said that they didn't give her any pineapple that night. Um, There was a bowl of pineapple in the kitchen, and the only fingerprints found on that bowl belonged to Burke Ramsey. This was really all the evidence they had against Burke in 1996, but then later modern equipment also managed to enhance the audio on Patsy's 911 call, which is what the CBS documentary really focuses on. Kimberly Mm -hmm. Archuleta, who was the dispatcher Patsy spoke with that night, claimed that she heard three voices on the 911 call. She heard Patsy, she's pretty sure she heard John, and a younger voice, um, seemingly Burke. Um, Archuleta claims that she heard Patsy say at the end of the call, okay, we've called the police, now what? The investigative team for this documentary slowed down the six seconds of remaining audio that were left before the phone was hung up, and claims that they can hear Patsy say, what did you do, and help me Jesus, John say we're not speaking to you, and a child saying what did you find and people <gasps> believe that this is an interaction between Patsy, John, and Burke um, about Burke having accidentally killed his sister mm-hmm. this finding has not been substantiated by the FBI or any other official investigative team, this was just something that the team at CBS did when the police had arrived on the night of the 26th, Burke was upstairs and the ramses claimed that he was sleeping. So if this was him on the phone, that means that they lied. Now, mm-hmm. there are certainly reasons that they could have lied, but that in itself was suspicious behavior. Um, he then joined them downstairs later in the day after the police, much later after the police had arrived. Because again, they arrived at six in the morning. Mm -hmm. forensic expert Dr. Werner Spitz also stated that a maglite flashlight was found at the Ramsey residence and he claimed that this was absolutely the murder weapon used to kill John That this is what she was hit in the head with Um, they had determined or he determined that a weapon like that could cause, cause a skull fracture they never found out for sure what the blunt force trauma was from but a flashlight was feasible and when Spitz was asked if Um, another child could cause a skull fracture with this weapon he replied the skull of a six year old we call them eggshell skulls it could be an adult it could be a child there was in my view no doubt that it was this flashlight or one exactly like it
0: Yeah. eggshell skulls that phrase just really got me yeah it's horrible Um, a former friend
1: I'm saying former because I'm assuming after she said this they stopped talking to her Judith Phillips told a newspaper, quote, I agree with the theory Burke killed John Bonet, but I don't think he meant to do it. I think Patsy did everything in her power to protect her living child. I think she wrote the ransom note whilst John staged the scene in the basement. After calling the police, Patsy began inviting friends over to the house, and in the commotion, John went missing for an hour and a half, and it is my opinion he was disposing of evidence. So she sort of proposed this theory that they let the police in and they purposefully contaminated the evidence to... Can construe, you know, the investigation and sort of protect their son, which would make sense considering John Ramsey picked up his daughter and carried her upstairs, which was a major faux pas. Yeah. So it's not, again, it's not outside of the realm of possibility. The ransom note is the real source of confusion in this. You know, why would a person leave a ransom note for a for someone who is then dead in the basement. It doesn't really make yeah. Any sense. It, yeah, it, that's been the true mystery if the if the ransom note was the red herring, you know, how did they enter, how did they exit? These are the big questions. Um the note was riddled with spelling mistakes, seemingly to make it look like the writer was not a native English speaker, but the um pathologist could tell that it was done with intention to make it mm-hmm. sound like, oh, this person's trying to write like someone who doesn't speak English, but they're they, they do speak English. Um, several lines from the note were taken from movies such as Speed and Dirty Harry. While being interviewed about the murder, a young Burke covers his mouth when he's asked about the pineapple, which is one of the most common tells that someone is withholding information. Perhaps the most incriminating piece of information in terms of the family's involvement came from former Boulder Police Chief Mark Beckner, who stated, quote, The strangulation came 45 minutes to two hours after the head strike, based on the swelling on the brain. While the head wound would have eventually killed her, the strangulation actually did kill her. The rest of the scene, we believe, was staged, including the vaginal trauma, to make it look like a kidnapping slash assault gone bad. But that time window is a very long period of time for an unknown stranger to be wandering a house. Yeah. And would make more sense in the narrative where a family member, let's say, accidentally hurt her, and when she didn't get up, they were like, oh, we killed her. So then they strangled her and, like, really killed her, you know? hmm And then sort of staged this very odd mystery
0: especially because the ransom note like if you argued oh they wrote this ransom note then they went to kidnap her there was a struggle she accidentally died mm-hmm. in that case well why was she in the basement and then why would there be this two-hour exactly, window exactly
1: Exactly. that's what doesn't make any sense like it just yeah like maybe they tried to knock her out They tried to knock her out, but they, I believe, I didn't see it in the notes I took this time, but I believe from my memory that they determined that when she was hit, she never woke back up. Like she was not, she was not conscious.
0: She was unconscious, but not dead. Yeah, she
1: was unconscious. So again, none of the family woke up. Like there was nothing. If, if they say they had, okay. So say that it was an intruder. Say they had knocked her out and they were waiting to take her out. So they knocked her out started writing the ransom note whatever the ransom note took a while because it was two and a half pages there would Mm -hmm. be no reason to strangle her not that there ever was a reason to strangle her that's not what i'm saying but if she she was unconscious why did they just decide to kill her like that doesn't make sense either due to the ramsey's highly regarded status in the boulder community a, for pageantry and also uh, John Ramsey had a good job and he was a wealthy man and well-respected. Um, the police were told not to interrogate the Ramseys. Um, Beckner Beckner states, after that initial day, we felt pressure from the DA's office not to push too hard on the Ramseys. This was a constant source of frustration and much could be written about this and the reasons for it. So like I said, the police were highly suspect, but they were never allowed a formal line of inquiry. And eventually in 1999, without the... Um, blessing of the police. The DA cleared the Ramsey family, and they were removed. So they had at one point been declared, but then they were removed as suspects in 1999. Patsy Ramsey actually passed away in 2006. So she's no longer living. In in 2016, following the CBS documentary, Burke did sue CBS for defamation, and that case was closed in 2019. Nobody knows the details of it, but they said it was closed to the satisfaction of both parties. Um, And he maintained uh, in many interviews after that and around his um, court case that his family was innocent and that they would have never hurt her. That's all I have to say about the family. Okay. I, again, there are, I, I'm talking about this from the one-sided view of what if her family did it, because you can't rule it out, there are compelling yeah. stories about if another person did it. Some of them acquaintances, some of them totally random people. Um, there have been many significant suspects. A man actually confessed in the early 2000s in Thailand, and then they found out that his DNA didn't match, and they were like, "No, you didn't do it. It was just like they thought it was this random like media stunt." So yeah.
0: there
1: are there are other compelling suspects to the case, but you asked me about the family, and so I wanted to st- yeah. I wanted to stick to that. Um okay that's what happened to John Bonet and why they think her family did it. Um like I said lots and lots of media out there about this. If you have an interest in learning more or hearing more
0: no, I just feel thing. like I didn't even say anything. I think I'm just processing everything. Yeah you can process. Oh, okay. But you did a great job, is my point. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.
1: Now you may you finish can... the episode. Okay. You may find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at YKWIVW podcast. You can check out our website, I've been wondering.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. And finally, if you have something that you've been wondering, you can email us at I've been wondering podcast at gmail.com. We would love to put it on our show.
0: Sarah, do you know what I've been wondering?
1: What have you been wondering, Jay?
0: who designed traffic laws and who like who picked that people going right got to go first this is not what I was expecting you to pick uh okay (laughs) it's just been I have been thinking about it because I drive more often lately Mm -hmm. yeah who
1: decided that you can go right on red yeah how did we develop I mean
0: I get like the I'm like whoever thought of this was like smart that this makes sense but going left would be dangerous yeah, but you're right. That's only because of how America goes, and why does America go that way? And anyway, whole whole can of worms. <laughs> a can of worms that I will open. <laughs> I will open that can. Um, yeah, let's. T- no, don't. You shouldn't have to open a can of worms. You've had to deal with so many me. <laughs> <things, right? laughs> I've been through enough. Um,
1: yes, I will. I I will do that for you, Jane. You know what I've cool, been cool, wondering. Cool, cool, cool. What have you been wondering, Sarah? I would like to learn more about the start of Sesame Street. Aw! And like why, se- why- yes. <laughs> I'm glad you're into it. And like why Sesame Street was created.
0: hmm You know That's such a cute idea. Oh, that's I like that. Okay. I wanted to give you something cute and fun. Yeah.
1: hmm Alright. That's what's coming at you next week. Thank you so much for listening. This is You know What I've Been Wondering.